would encourage any organization or, or administrator listening to this, because I see it all the time that you spend, you talked about expensive efforts. You focus on the most expensive efforts. Nothing is more expensive than looking at your roster of doctors and only focusing on communication skill set increase for your low performers. That's an expensive initiative because communication skill set should be a culture within your physician group. That way, you know, your high performers, your mid performers and your low performers are all looking because that's the same way it happens on the medicine side. If there's a new surgery or a new procedure that comes out, it's not just your low performers who are going to go <laughs> review that procedure to be able to learn it and do it. No, all of your high performers, your mids and your lows are going to obtain that information and communication has to be looked at the same way. Welcome to Difficult Conversations, Lessons I Learned as an ICU Physician with Dr. Anthony Orsini. Dr. Orsini is a practicing physician and president and CEO of the Orsini Web. As a frequent keynote speaker and author, Dr. Orsini has been training healthcare professionals and business leaders how to navigate through the most difficult dialogues. Each week, you will hear inspiring interviews with experts in their field who tell their story and provide practical advice on how to effectively communicate. Whether you are a doctor faced with giving a patient bad news, a business leader who wants to get the most out of his or her team members, or someone who just wants to learn to communicate better, this is the podcast for you. Well, welcome to another episode of Difficult Conversations, Lessons I Learned as an ICU Physician. This is Dr. Anthony Orsini, and I'll be your host again today. Today, we have another incredible guest, and this young gentleman contacted me. We hit it off really well, and it really fits, I think, perfectly into the whole format of this podcast, Difficult Conversations, especially in healthcare. So today, my guest is Joshua Washington. He's the president of Lee Malvo, People's Strategy and Solutions. As an organizational psychologist, Joshua has spent the last decade helping over 200 medical facilities with people, strategy, and performance. He's also trained over a thousand executive leaders and developed a one-to-one physician coaching program, helping doctors reach top percentile nationally in patient experience performance. And for those of you who have been listening to this podcast, this is a recurring theme because it is one of the hottest topics in medicine right now. With his engaging personality, as you'll see, Joshua is able to connect with everyone he meets. His passion for people development shines through in his work and serves as the foundation of his continued success. And I promise you, at the end of this short podcast, you'll be a big fan also of Joshua's because he is, as soon as I met him, we became friends. We'll talk about his book, Personal Development, which is coming out February 16th. But by the time this airs, it will already be out. So... Joshua, welcome. Thank you for uh, joining us today. I know you're very busy. No, thank you for having me, man. Like you said, we had a lot of fun. So I expect today to be a continuation. We talked, we got to know each other and hit it off instantly. You're a a flow grown, as they say, (laughs) is the term, right? Flow grown. Let me use that. I like that. Uh, Yeah, I see those bumper stickers everywhere here in Florida because there's not that many people that are from Florida and lived in Florida. So we're all transplants. But I'm a true believer in building rapport. I'm sure you talk about that with your doctors when you coach them. So let's build rapport with our audience here. Tell us a little about who Josh is, not only from where you're from, but some personal stuff and and how you got to this point in your career, how you entered healthcare and all that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I I like to start with some of the personal stuff. I'm a husband and a father. Uh, It's my wife and I, we're we're kind of, we're still in that newlywed zone. I I hear a lot of those who are experienced. They're like, you're all just getting started. So I've I've been married to my wife for seven years. Our son is about one years old. So he is 
a pandemic baby. So that's been a fun two years watching him go through this kind of cycle of not being able to hang out with other kids. So that's fun. But also something that happened during that time frame was I, I started a business. I ventured out from working with a company. I, was, I worked for one of the largest healthcare companies in the country for almost 10 years with over just a, an immense amount of care workers and, and a lot of fun. But around 2020 is when I felt impressed to get out and help more businesses. So uh, that's something I've been doing with Lee Malvo, People Strategy and Solutions. But to your original question, how I got started in medicine is actually a very funny story because I never thought I would be in medicine. In fact, I hated going to the doctor's office, not, <laughs> not because of the doctor, but just because that's not something I saw practiced a lot in my family. And so if you would have told me once I graduated that I'd end up in healthcare, I would have told you, you are a liar, but that's exactly what happened. And it was really because of the things that you talk about, relationship. And really being able to connect. And I really had a connection with this particular healthcare organization. And from there, I guess the rest is just history, man. I started off as a little coordinator guy and grew all the way to coaching and being a preferred coach for physicians, which I'm very proud of because that's a prestigious group and they don't trust everyone to come in and help them with their work. So something I'm very proud of. We talked about that in our first conversation. I'm looking at, for those of you, this is only audio, but I'm looking right behind your right shoulder there, Josh. You got a piano. Yeah. You play, I think you said something about music. Yeah, music was my first passion. That's what I thought I would be doing in my life. I thought I would be communication-based, but through writing songs and that sort of thing. And to be honest, it's something I still do to this day. It's a getaway and a passion of mine. You also see over here on my left shoulder, I keep it there. It's probably behind me. Yeah, that little small thing that Dr. Orsini's looking at, is actually my first royalty check for writing a song on, on a major stream album. So needless to say, I like to do a lot of things, but all of it is centered around the same thing. It's around communication and, and impacting people, the value of people. So uh, that's been a recurring theme in my life. So you get a job in healthcare, but now healthcare is a pretty big industry. So where was your first job and how did you go from the, I've never been in a hospital before to getting to coaching doctors. I mean, that's a big span right there in just 10 years. That's a big jump. I think one thing to know is that my studies were in interpersonal and organizational communication. That's where I started really in schooling and and education. And so when I got into the healthcare field, my particular area was patient experience. So I did a lot of working with the practices and managers and leaders around patient experience which allowed me to get into the same vicinity with a lot of the doctors and see from an outsider's perspective how healthcare professionals approach this kind of particular area of patient experience. And so that's how I got my start in healthcare. And what made you uh, make that transition to going out on your own? And did you start coaching doctors while you were still at the institution and then said, hey, I can do this? Yeah, yeah. Started coaching doctors while at at the institution. And two, I think everyone's surprised when doctors begin to reach out to say, hey, I want some coaching. That's when I think the light went off. And it's really, I think that was the first time in that particular institution that we were using the patient experience scores as data to inform strategy and relationship, which I think is a huge kind of differentiator from what I've seen in a lot of organizations I've been a privy to. But using that kind of methodology of approach to say, hey, our doctors are humans as well. What a thought. Like they're humans as well. Let's approach them with the same relational attitude that we want them to approach their patients. And so from that, 
the only reason why I really left the organization is because this business that I, I run now is it's named after my grandmother. So it was a personal thing. Had that not happened and my grandmother didn't pass in 2016, I'd still be at that organization because it was just a fantastic experience to be a part of. But because this is something that was more of a legacy move, uh, that's why I made the switch. So one of the things, as you know, my background is in communication and relationship building from not only from physician point of view, but through every point of contact from the receptionist all the way to the housekeeper. But as I got into more and more of the patient experience and started to work with more and more patient experience departments, I started to realize that we were missing the boat. Press Ganey was coming in, showing the top five predictors of highly recommended you had information from Gallup and Barrel Institute and all pointing that the top five predictors of patient experience are all communication and relationship related. The problem is that as I, and I still see this today, and I want your opinion on this, is that you see patient experience departments and hospitals that seem to go for the expensive low-lying fruit. In other words, I don't want to take the time to teach communication and relationship to the doctors because maybe I'm a little afraid of them. So let's just redo the waiting room Yeah, as if it's okay for me to be treated rudely as long as the carpet is nice and there's a big screen TV and the things. Did you see that when you were there? And why do you think it's still in 2022? We're still, I think we're making some headway with this communication, but it's amazing how we're so willing to write a checkout for $500,000 for a brand new waiting room. But when it comes to training the doctors, we're like, mm, I'm not so sure about that. Why do you think that is? Do you think that's still happening? And what do you think is? Yeah, I think that's still happening. I think people are still trying to change the patient experience by offering a bottle of water, right? While, while you wait in the exam room, that's the big to do. But I think to your point, the disconnect is relationships. I think when you look at a lot of relationships between administrators and the physicians, that partnership oftentimes, because of the lack of relationship, a lot of administrators don't know how to approach it. When I first started in this, for instance, I was told by another physician that, hey, you won't be able to do this because you're not a doctor. Mm -hmm. And really, I didn't take offense to that. But really what I was hearing was you're not someone a doctor's going to trust. It's a relationship thing. And oftentimes administrators won't approach this subject because they, I think there's often this perception that doctors are hyper egotistical. They'll never want to accept that. When the truth is, doctors are one of the main professions that are constantly learning, constantly growing. Good point. The medicine changes, right? So there's always something new. And this was solidified for me when I went out and started interviewing physicians. Because after I was told you'll never be able to do this, I thought, let me go ask. So I went out and asked some physicians, and I'll never forget, a doctor pulled me aside and said, hey, your expertise is in communication, correct? So yeah. So my expertise is in medicine. So why wouldn't I allow you to help me if that's where I need help? And I think if a lot of those conversations would take place across the administrative and physician line, I think administrators would begin to say, you know what, we can invest into this, but we need to do it through conversations with our doctors, not bring in an expert to tell the doctor, hey, follow these 12 steps and, and that'll get us all our reimbursements. But to really understand at the physician level, what are the needs and then how can we resource those? And it's a personal relationship between you and the physician. We had Diane Rogers. Diane, shout out to Diane Rogers was on this podcast. Maybe she was the first five or 10 guests. She's become a friend and 
She is a lay person just like you who does physician coaching. We talked about how she has to approach physicians in a certain manner. And I think you're saying the same thing to say, listen, I'm not here to tell you how to practice medicine. I don't know anything about medicine. I'm here just to observe and point out those things that you're doing well and maybe make some suggestions from a patient point of view. Is that how you approach it also? Yeah. And mine is is really from a, just a communication perspective. I like to go in and, and really oftentimes I found physicians are so busy working the practice and all of the hundreds of responsibilities they have. Sometimes it's just a good idea to sit down and explain the process, explain here's some of the data points that you may not be aware of that you're being measured by. Here's what your patients are looking for when they come to see you as far as a communication and personal need perspective. So my approach really is awareness driven. It's really to, okay, let's work together and I'm going to put on paper what you're doing and then I'm going to show you what the kind of best practices, evidence-based you know, approach is. And then from there, we'll work that menu in together in a partnership. And I think that's why I've been received well by this community um, because of my approach is, is really to get in and customize it to the physician. Overall, I found in my physician coaching and the workshops that I've done, overall physicians, first of all, we're type A, we want to be perfect. So when you give us some advice and it's based on sound advice, we go, hey, I like that. I never, right? You, do you get that all the time? Yeah. And one of the ways I incorporate that is like choice, options. The worst thing you can do with a type A or a really any adult is say you have to do it this way. And so one of the ways I go in is, for instance, if we're doing teach back kind of coaching, I say, hey, doc, I want you to try this at your next 10, you know, end of your patient interactions and then let's measure it. Let's see how it goes. And then kind of let the doctor go because you're, you're dealing with intelligent professionals. So they know when I try this and there's a difference or I get a different response, it helps them obtain the information faster. It helps them implement it faster. So options and choice, I think, is a real big kind of accelerator when we're talking about physician coaching. I get this all the time where I'll say, how about, you know, think about maybe saying this or do you see the perception next time look at the patient's face and they light up. I love what you said. We're lifelong learners. Yeah. We want to learn, but don't tell us what to do. <laughs> right? Yeah. Especially if you're dealing with a doctor from New Jersey. <laughs> don't tell them what to do. I heard a story about, I think it was back in the Korean War. They had those mass units and the, every day they were on the front lines. They're doing surgery, et cetera. But the doctors were still required to wake up in the morning with the revelry, the trumpets, and they wake up and all that. And they just weren't coming. And they were starting to get in trouble and they were losing this and getting in trouble this and getting demoted. And at one point, the United States Army just said, listen, you're not going to have any doctors left. They ain't coming. Yeah. Because the doctor says, this is absolutely stupid for me to wake up at 6 a.m. to stand in line after I've been in surgery until 2 a.m. I'm not doing it. And so I think you, what you said is really strong is that let's give them options because if you really want to make a doctor angry and burnt out and depressed, and we'll get into all that in a second, tell them what to do. Yeah. Tell her what to do. Or, or, you know? or send them an email with an attachment of some scores that they don't even understand and say, you know what, all that work you've put in over these years, doc, to become the best doc that you want to be, you suck. Okay. Just because these scores say you suck, you're at the bottom percent. That. Yeah. And they don't know why. Yeah. 
That's just as demoralizing. And I would encourage any organization or, or administrator listening to this because I see it all the time. You talked about expensive efforts. You focus on the most expensive efforts. Nothing is more expensive than looking at your roster of doctors and only focusing on communication skill set increase for your low performers. That's an expensive initiative because communication skill set should be a culture within your physician group. That way your high performers, your mid performers and your low performers are all looking because that's the same way it happens on the medicine side. If there's a new surgery or a new procedure that comes out, it's not just your low performers who are going to go <laughs> review that procedure to be able to learn it and do it. No, all of your high performers, your, your mids and your lows are going to obtain that information and communication has to be looked at the same way. You know, one of the best advice I ever got many years back was always look at the people who are good and stop looking at the people who are bad. Yes. And so what we've traditionally had, especially in this patient experience, is to take the doctor who wants to do well, is maybe struggling in the 50th percentile, et cetera. And then they're brought into the office and say, hey, doc, you need to improve your scores. Yeah. And they don't tell them why. And then they say, don't be like him. <laughs> don't be like her. Don't be like her. Instead of saying, don't be like him, don't be like her. And a lot of the stuff I call it stealing. Say, you know what? Here's a guy or a girl who's in the 95th percentile over the last 10 years. Just watch her. Watch when she walks into the room. Watch what she does. And I always say to my young doctors all the time, steal from them. <laughs> steal from them. See the way she smiles, et cetera. And so I think having the coach come in, listen, I got referred a, a doctor in, in the Midwest once to coach because he was in a lot of trouble. His practice was failing. He was in trouble with the hospital. He was getting all these complaints. He kept saying, you know, they're saying that I'm an ass. And, and I talked to the guy on the phone. He's like, I don't understand. I'm, I'm the nicest man in the world. I just, I don't get it. I don't understand. And so I went on his website and his website was just rough. It was basically his website was, you should hire me because everybody else is doing it wrong. And so I, I just took a couple of the phrases and I go, how about we soften this up? He was, you know, I kind of like that. So they want to learn. So take me through your approach, Josh. So doctor calls you or you get in touch with a group and the group says, hey, Josh, we're a bunch of nice doctors here. We think we're great, but we want to be better. What happens then once they hire you? Well, usually it's kind of a four-step process. We look at data. I believe Data is critical, especially when you're working with physicians who are very much data driven. So for me, it's important to start getting some of those data points. So we start at the personal level, actually. I want to know who am I working with? Number one, the most important question for me is, are you here by choice? Hmm. Are you the physician work? Did you request this or are you bought into this? And for no other reason than time is our greatest resource. I don't want to waste your time because you're not going to get any results. You're not going to see any change. If you're not truly bought in on this and you're just doing it because an administrative leader partner said, hey, you need to do this. So that's number one. We look at readiness. Are you ready to really take this journey? And if you're not, we can come back around. No hard feelings at all. But once that box is checked and we're at the readiness piece, then we start to look into what I call the kind of the initial consult where I get to know the physician, kind of a 20 minute conversation. And I want to know what got you started in medicine. Because if we're going to teach you how to build relationships with your patients, then I need to build a relationship with you. So that rapport is understanding what got you started in medicine. And I can't tell you, Dr. Orsini, some of the awesome stories that you hear from physicians 
Because what this also does is it helps to fight burnout when someone stops you and says, let's go back to the beginning. And you hear the pediatric doctor who tells you about how they came in and saw their doctor and it sparked the love of medicine. And I think that just gets us off to a, a great start from a momentum perspective to start at that personal level. So once I have those data points, a few different questions around why you got started, what are the three words you want a patient to leave your interaction saying you know, about their experience with you? Then we move on to getting what I call your preferred script. Because I work at the one-to-one level, I get in the exam room with the doctors. And sometimes it's in person or it's over the computer. So we do it virtually. I just want to hear what you're doing. There's no judgment. No, not behind with a clipboard marking you off. But I want to get a sense of what's your routine. Because you'd be surprised how many doctors don't even know what their communication routine is. They're just going off of either instincts or habit. But no one has ever sat down and formulated what they're doing. And once I can formulate what you're doing and put it in front of you and say, hey, doc, now we have this data. Now I want you to look at what the best practices are side by side. And then from there, the rest is just kind of a progressive process. We work through slowly. I break up their visit into beginning, middle and end. And we just slowly start to integrate things over a kind of a 90 day period. From there, we've seen great results. I have not had a physician yet that did not see a tremendous increase just within the first 30 days. And so how long is this relationship typically that you follow them afterwards? How long does it take to turn them around? It's all based on the physician. I've had some who in 30 days turn around. I've had others who they have that initial jump in 30 days, but you know, okay, we got to stick with this physician as far as follow-up is concerned. Uh, My primary care doc I work with comes to mind. I still talk to this doctor today who just checks in for kind of just maintenance. Hey, Josh, I got this tough case today. It's a weight loss patient. I was trying to you know, figure out how to navigate this. And so the relationship can be as long as the doctor wants, you know, because I'm really here to serve the doc. So I, I don't really close off. We will continue as long as you see need or we'll check in, you know, for some kind of upkeep type approach. So you mentioned I do this roadmap for those of you who read my book called Program and the P is for plan and, and positioning. And you mentioned, and it is amazing to me that especially with difficult conversations, breaking bad news conflict resolution. I do a lot of videotaping. We watch the docs and I'll say, what was your plan going in? And they'll look at me like, (laughs) what do you mean a plan? I just walked in. I just said hi. And and so I think that's a good point that you brought out that this is kind of like a beginning, middle and an end, correct? Yeah, absolutely. And the plan oftentimes is on the medical piece. But I think one of the greatest aha moments that I see in physicians in their eyes is when we talk about the personal versus the practical need. Oftentimes, a physician will go into the exam room focused on the practical need because the practical need is is medically based. It's it's a medical need. That's what I'm here for. It's a lot of the thought process. But there's also a personal need. And that personal need is the barrier to you getting to achieving and meeting that practical need. And so I think that just that concept, that paradigm shift oftentimes helps a physician understand, okay, I need to have a plan for their personal need and their practical need which is what I hear when I, when you talk about just some of your experiences going into the exam room. Yeah, I think that's really important. And, and I can't overemphasize what you said before is that overwhelmingly you're going to have physicians that are open to this. Yeah. There's a little barrier to get through with maybe some embarrassment. I don't want someone to watch me. We had that in Breaking Bad News when I started out teaching doctors how to break bad news. We had some senior physicians 
been doing it for 10 or 15 years who knew they struggled with it, but it, they don't want anybody to know that they've been doing this for 15 years and they're still that good at it. But once you build that trust, as you said, they're very open. They want to learn. So I think we're moving in the right direction with patient experience. I hope we are. <laughs> so well, We have to, because think about this. The next generation that's going to really occupy healthcare is like the, the baby boomers. The, the boomers are coming, you know, and the boomers are savvy and have a, a great interest in just overall wellness and lifestyle. And so what, what I believe, and this is just my based on research and, and experience, I believe communication is actually going to be like that free bingo spot on the card. Patients are going to expect this. And because it's so many boomers, there's going to be a lot of opportunity and exposure to those who have increased this skill set. And so I would just encourage anyone that's practicing to understand that, yes, this is going to have to become a part of healthcare because the generational makeup of your patient population is changing rapidly and it's going to require you know, that upkeep and skills. The same way technology requires us all to advance on the personal side is going to require it as well. Yeah, my father's generation, my mother and father's generation, it was very common as I was growing up to hear people say, he's got a lousy bedside manner, but he's a great doctor, go to him. Mm -hmm. As you are alluding to the baby boomers, especially the younger ones, that's not going to fly. Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't care how good of a surgeon you are. If I don't like you and I don't trust you, then there's a problem. So I wish, and maybe together and other people can join in like Diane and all the other people doing coaching. We need to get this down to the medical school level. Oh, yes. And medical schools will tell you because they are required to teach communication. But I can tell you from training almost 7,000 residents in the past 10 years individually, and who knows how many more that I'll say, well, you got trained in this? But yes, I did. Well, how much? Somebody came in, gave me an hour lecture and we had a 15 minute OSCE, a little simulation thing. And I'll go, do you find it odd that something that could affect someone's life for 30 years, that is a major part of the success of your practice and the clinical outcomes, that you only spent an hour and 15 minutes on this? And they'll look at me and go, yeah, I always thought that was weird. Yeah. Yeah, it's, so. and, and this gets even crazier. All this direct contract stuff that's happening and patients are being almost like, hey, go see this preferred doctor. It's one of those things where communication is a direct line to patient loyalty. And that is going to be one of the sustaining factors for patients to be able to keep their patients and be able to have their patients prefer them over the patient down the road who they're getting the stipend for, you know, they're getting their transportation paid for to go see. The difference is going to be, no, I have a connection with this doctor because they can meet my personal need because they are great communicators. And one of the important points, I think I've said this before, is if for no other reason, when a, a nurse or a doctor feels like they're communicating well with all their patients, they have a relationship. You said it before, it reduces their burnout because they enjoy their job. They're reminded, as you also said, that this is why they went into medicine in the first place. There's less turnover and dramatically, the data dramatically reduces medical errors and malpractice lawsuits. Dramatically. I talk about in my book, my family doctor, Anthony Merck, 50 years practicing OBGYN and family practice never sued. The odds of that, if you look at statistics, is less than 2% of happening. And the guy was just an okay doctor. He wasn't the greatest doctor ever. 
but he could cut off the wrong finger on you, Josh. You, <laughs> wouldn't, you wouldn't sue him because he was just a great guy and he was your friend. And I hope that we're moving in that direction. I really do. Well, let me ask you a question real quick, because you've been in this thing. You, you are vested and experienced. How many doctors do you think today, because you brought up something that, that I think is really important about the burnout piece. How many do you think are literally fighting to hold on to their love for medicine, to stay in it? Oh, if you look at the data, depending on who you read it, somewhere between 40 to 60% of doctors right now are feeling some type of burnout. We have Wendy Dean on. Wendy Dean is a doctor who redefines physician burnout as moral injury, which basically I think she's got a very good point that it's not that we're working too hard. It's that we're not being satisfied with our job, that we are being forced to see patients. Back to what you said before, looking for that relationship, reminding of why we went into medicine in the first place. When you have people telling you how many patients you have to see, and that's what I get a lot is, you don't know, I got to see 27 patients. And I go, yeah, but when you're in that room, nobody's telling you what to say. There's no administrator. There's no insurance company. And if I teach you how to build that relationship and, and as you say, have a plan and a beginning, middle and end, it won't take you that much longer. Probably be less time. So that's your time. There's a whole whirlwind out there. Like Dyke Drummond was another episode. He calls it, there's a whirlwind out there. But when you shut the door, this is your time to enjoy medicine. So let's learn how to do it. And for those people who want that, we all want to, and we just need coaching. It's not embarrassing to need coaching. Everybody needs coaching. Yeah. And I asked you that question for a reason, because the majority of my work often takes place with the administrator. It often takes place to getting the administrator to balance that focus of outcome-based results, you know, patient experience scores, engagement scores, financial results, and really getting back to the process piece. Because if you think about it, there is so much pressure on the physician because the physician, especially if you're dealing a lot with medical practices like I do, the physician is expected to be a leader in the medical practice. Even if there's an office manager, the physician's voice carries more and see patients and connect with not only the patients, but their staff members. So in many ways, physicians are expected to be relational experts. And you have all that pressure and pressure to perform, pressure to meet the administrator's goals and partnership, and it can be overwhelming. And I think that's something that we have to keep in mind. That's why I always say data should be used to inform strategy, not to throw more stress on the physician. If we can get to that point, then communication and patient experience conversations become a lot less combative and it becomes just a working mechanism within the overall organizational structure. That's a great point. So Josh, tell me about your book now. It's coming out February 16th. Yes. It'll be available on your website. I think you said Amazon. This is probably going to go live or drop, as they say, probably in March. So it'll already be out. So tell us about the book, the title, and what drove you to uh, write it. Yeah, the book is called The Mentality of Success. It is a personal development book. And it's part of the reason why I branched out to start my own business. I wanted to focus on kind of two verticals. So I do a lot in the healthcare organization, but I also work a lot with young professionals. And this book was written, and I think it's a very timely piece because it's, it was written to bring back our attention to our own personal value. And success, it can be a pressure trigger for a lot of young professionals who are looking to reach some imaginary line of success when the truth is we are all created with success already in it. 
Every great thing that has been invented and built on this earth has come from a human being, which means the success was not in the thing. The success was in the person. And I think sometimes that idea gets confused. And so this book was really written for the young professional with suicide rates kind of, you know, now due to the pandemic, they're accelerating even more. I think this book is something that's really timely for the depression, the anxiety, the the suicidal thoughts to bring us all back to purpose and say your life matters. Your value matters. And not only does it matter, but someone needs the value that's within you. And so the motivation to write this book really sparked once my son was born. And I just looked out at the future and his future and wanted to write some words and, and some pages that, that he could always look back to and, and read and listen and hear his dad's voice. And I hope it's the same for anyone else, a young professional who would pick it up and say, you know what, this book inspired me to go out and pour out my value on the world. I love that. So this is not a healthcare book. This is a personal book. The point of the book, it sounds like it's something that I agree with wholeheartedly is we don't want to go through life studying for the test. And you get that going back to the healthcare or you have U.S. News and World Report, you have LeapFrog, you have HCAPS. And when you bring these results to somebody and say, okay, here, you're going to get two points if you do this, you can get one point. That's going to fall flat on its face, right? Yeah. But bring it to them and say, do this because there's excellence in you and because you want to do it because it's the right thing. And this is how you were raised. You get better results. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the numbers will follow and we have to stop, you know, learn math because you need to know math. Don't learn math because you have to take the SATs. It's a big difference on how you look at things. Yeah. The numbers follow relationship because the relationship ignites the intrinsic motivation. There is a far, is a small, small amount of doctors who are in this thing for the wrong reasons. The overwhelming majority of doctors are in this with the right heart and want to succeed. And I think when we can push the numbers aside and say, okay, let's bring this back to you as a person who wants to treat your patient the best that you can, it makes it a lot more receptive. And it, it ignites those intrinsic motivators that sustain performance because you don't want someone to just increase performance because you sent them a bunch of red numbers, right? But they increase performance because it means something to them intrinsically. I love that. Perfect. That's a perfect way to end here, Josh. So I'm so glad that our paths of our lives crossed and you contacted me. I think this is going to be a really informative episode. It fits perfectly within, as I said before, in our podcast platform and our theme. And I think you really seem very knowledgeable and you've had success, you've shown success, and I wish you all the success in the future with your book. What's the best way for everyone to get in touch with you if they need your services? Yeah, a lot of times LinkedIn has been just a great portal for connection. So you can reach out on LinkedIn. It's Joshua Washington or Lee Malvo, People Strategy and Solutions. You can find me there or actually my email as well, joshua at leemalvo.com. Any of those three ways Let's connect. And if if I can help in any way, I will definitely do so. And we'll put that all in the show notes. So if you're, uh, as I say, if you're driving, you don't need to pull over. Just go to show notes and click on it. If you enjoyed this podcast, thank you uh, again. And please go ahead and hit subscribe or follow on your favorite podcast platform. Go ahead and download some previous episodes that we mentioned already. But if you'd like to get in touch with me, you can reach me at theorsiniway.com or drorsini at theorsiniway.com. Again, Josh, thank you so much. This was a great time and I can't wait for my audience to go ahead and hear this episode. Likewise, thank you for having me. If you enjoyed this podcast, please hit the subscribe button. 
and leave a comment and review. To contact Dr. Orsini and his team or to suggest guests for future podcasts, visit us at theorsiniway.com. The comments and opinions of the interviewer and guests on this podcast are their own and do not necessarily reflect the opinions and beliefs of their present and past employers or institutions.